Good morning, Faith Church family. It's good to see you here. Welcome everyone gathered here in the sanctuary. There's a great amount of you, and welcome to everyone joining in virtually as well. Uh, we have a special privilege this morning of hearing the public professions of faith of a number of our students, and uh, I know we have some guests here and online who are joining us for that, and that is just wonderful. I want to highlight uh, several announcements. There are some announcements, items for your prayer in the bulletin as always. I wanted you especially to know about the college care packages that are going out again soon. Uh, talk about the next round of stimulus packages. This is the next round of college care packages going out in April or mid-April. And, and you can look in the bulletin for details. You have an opportunity to donate uh, particular items towards those care packages. And, and having seen one open from a college student, by a college student, my daughter Olivia, these are really very thoughtfully done, um, so you can participate in that. Next week, Asylum, our sixth through eighth grade youth group, is going to be meeting. Look in the bulletin for those details, and I hope you sixth, seventh, and eighth graders can join in and invite your friends. The Bolton tells us, too, that uh, Sunday school and children's church are going to begin for a very shortened season next Sunday, but also that some children's church teachers and leaders and Sunday school teachers are still needed. I just wanted to highlight that need, and in particular in this shortened season, if you've thought of helping out in children's church and teaching there or teaching Sunday school, this could be the perfect opportunity for you to do it because the, um, the commitment is so limited. It's not like it usually is, which is about a half season, like three months. It's going to be much less than that. So it would be a really good opportunity. There's a need, and if you've ever thought of it, this would be a good opportunity in a low-commitment way to explore if you can serve the congregation in that way this year, okay? Our call to worship is from Psalm 141, the first two verses. Let's say these together. O oh Lord, I call to you. Come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense, May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Would you stand as you stand? The worship team is going to come forward, and uh, we're all going to receive God's blessing as we gather together as brothers and sisters. Friends, guests, wherever you are, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We're going to enter his courts with singing and praise joyfully. Let's stay standing to sing together. Joyful, joyful.
Please be seated, church. Speaking of being joyful in the one who saves, today, as I mentioned, we're privileged to welcome into the full life of the church's fellowship some who wish to confess their faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'd like the five students to come on up now, and you can find a spot. Uh, there's those little orange or pinkish tape. Find a spot there. We're trying to be socially distanced. And while they're coming up, we have a number of elders who are also, whoever's up first has to go all the way up top. How about the elders who are going to uh, say some words also come up at this time? And maybe you guys can kind of sit in that front pew, socially distanced, and then just whatever order you're sitting in, do, do your thing in a little bit. Sorry, Leah. Um, so these, these five students, we're so glad, good to see you all. Um, when they were baptized, God made clear his claim on them as his own, and they were received into the church, and now they wish to share fully in the life of this congregation and in the whole church of God. And so today, they're going to publicly accept and confirm what was sealed in their baptism, confess their faith in the Lord Jesus, and offer themselves to God as his willing servants. We thank God for having given them this desire, and we pray that as we now hear their profession, he will favor us with his presence and the guidance of his Holy Spirit. So students, in the presence of God and, and before before his people, you're asked to respond to these questions. And these are the questions uh, that we discussed and talked about in our profession of faith class. So I know you've heard them already. And uh, listen to each one, and then I'll ask for your response one at a time, okay? Number one, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to redeem the world? Do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin and do you, with repentance and joy, embrace him as Lord of your life? Two, do you believe the Bible is the word of God revealing Christ in his redemption and that the confessions of this church faithfully reflect this revelation? And then finally, do you promise to do all you can with the help of the Holy Spirit to strengthen your love and commitment to Christ by sharing faithfully in the life of the church, honoring and submitting to its authority, and do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere? As I ask each of you for your response, an appropriate response would be simply, I do. Okay? Leah, what is your answer? And Paige, what is your answer? Hannah, what is your answer? Ryan, what is your answer? And Grace, what is your answer? Wonderful. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I now welcome you all to the privileges of what we call full fellowship, full communion in the church. I welcome you to full participation in the life of this church family. I welcome you to the responsibilities that go along with that, but also its joys and its sufferings. Uh, may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Congregation, would you join me in this statement of reception right now? Joyfully, we receive each one of you. We give thanks that God has given you the desire to respond to his grace in your lives. Join with us as we together grow in faith and service, as we give witness in the world to the good news, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, congregation. Elders, why don't you begin and just speak into that mic on that stand, okay? Afterwards, students, you will, we're not doing the usual handing Bibles to each other just because of COVID precautions. They'll, when they go down, pick up their Bible and their special certificate. Ryan, um, I uh, was blessed with the uh, opportunity to hear your profession of faith. Uh, last Monday night, and uh, I'm excited uh, for you and for the rest of you young people that uh, you are the next generation of uh, faith church people, and uh, want to welcome you all. And uh, Ryan, um, my uh, my suggestion to you, I think I said that Monday night, is that when you're challenged, when you uh, feel uh, not necessarily depressed, but uh, you need somebody to turn to. Jesus Christ is always there, so call on him in prayer, uh, and uh, we welcome you to Faith Church. Paige Hoving, your mother and I are, are very thankful. We're so thankful along with your grandparents who are here today, um, your family, your aunts and uncles, your church family. We're thankful for the seeds of faith that have been planted in you and the seeds that God has grown in you through his Holy Spirit. Um, today is a, is a good day and we rejoice with you and our, our, church, our family and our church family. Your verse comes from Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hi, Grace. I've known you for a long time as a friend of Leah's, but what a joy and a blessing it was to be with you as you talk more about your spiritual life, how remarkable it is. I just took a few notes. Um, you talked about your, in your spiritual walk, how you're studying the word. That's awesome. And I know you have a good circle of good Christian friends and a very, very strong heritage and a strong family commitment to Christianity as well with your parents and your grandparents. So congratulations for that. It was wonderful to hear. My prayer for you as you move on to the next chapter of your life is that you would continue to read and to study the word and make that your foundation. Find and keep good, close Christian friends and gain confidence to tell others about Jesus because you know it in your heart and 
express it in your words. And then maintain the strong Christian foundation that's been laid by your family. Your Bible verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Congratulations. Hi, Leah. <laughs> I can get through this. Leah, I've watched you grow into a very strong Christian young lady. And what a joy it's been for my life. <clears throat> I'm proud and blessed to be here with you as you profess your faith. I think <clears throat> of a book I read years ago. It's called Tender Warrior. And I think that's kind of an appropriate description of you, Leah. You're very passionate and very convicted yet you are very sensitive and very caring. I look forward to see the path the Lord has for your life and that we can walk that path with you as your family. My prayer for you is that as a warrior, you will always wear the full armor of God and that you maintain and nurture your tender nature, caring and loving those around you. You have two Bible verses. First is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And also 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Am I okay just using this mic, Steve? Okay. Hannah, mom and I chose a verse that will be familiar to you, and maybe you'll remember that it's the verse that mom had with her sisters in her home growing up. It was their family verse. And it's a very wonderful verse from 1 Peter 2, Verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hannah, you are an amazing gift to me and to your mom and to our whole family. I don't know what we'd do if you were not there with us. God has, has gifted you in a, in a whole, like all, the, all of you students, God has gifted you in a, in a whole variety of ways and we see you using those gifts for his glory and to bless and be gracious and kind to others. More than any of that, we know that you know the greatest gift of all is Jesus, God's own son, and that you belong to him. And we're so thankful that 
that's number one in your life and that you want to tell others about that right here today. I love you. The students are going to stay up here um, for just a bit longer as we all stand and join together to say what we believe with them. We're using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let's do that right now, students and congregation. From the heart, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We're going to stay standing and sing in response, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Uh, students, during, as the music starts, you can grab your Bible that has your verse in the front of it and the certificate and be seated. And, okay? Let's sing.
Please have a seat. Before we go to God in our morning prayer, a couple of announcements. Uh, one, one, of, one of praise, and that is that this past Tuesday, Eli Gerald Lurup was born to Justin and Leah Lurup, um, mother and baby and husband too, are doing well and came home to their on Thursday. One other announcement, if you've been here at Faith for more than a few years, you may very well know some of our sister congregations in this region. Um, one, of, one of them is Lawndale Christian Reformed Church. Uh, Reverend Jim Wolf has served there as pastor, I want to say since 19, either 79, 80, or 81, and has served there faithfully in that neighborhood and um, really worked closely with Westside Christian School with, with his wife. His wife, Kathy, passed away a couple days ago. You may have heard that she was diagnosed with a very serious form of cancer not that long ago, I want to say several months ago. And she passed away, so we want to remember our, our brother there um, and those who are mourning with him, uh, Kathy's passing away. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for your word and spirit through which we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. May the students who confessed your name today never cease to wonder at what you have done for them. Help them to continue firmly in the faith, to bear witness to your love, and to let the Holy Spirit shape their lives. Take them, Good Shepherd, into your care, that they may loyally endure opposition in serving you when that happens, to not get too discouraged when they fall short of your will for them, but seek forgiveness and cleansing and assurance in their Savior, Jesus Christ, who was faithful all the way to the cross, to pray for, to pay for their unfaithfulness and all of ours. May we, with all your children, live together in the joy and power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in the hope of your coming, and that you will set all things right. Bless us as we live together in this church home, being built up for service in your world, being sanctified more and more to be salt and light to those around us, Bless various ministries, especially for our boys and girls and young people that are starting up. Thank you for volunteers and leaders dedicated to the discipleship of our covenant children. Bless some who need you in a special way. We think especially this morning in prayer of Stephanie and Nellie Grunewald, that you would recover them from their surgeries. We think of the Vandernald family having laid to rest a brother, an uncle, a son this past week. Bless Ruth Tazelar in her recent move. Trevor Van Damme waiting for a kidney transplant. Thank you that he had a successful procedure uh, this past week. And keep him in the palm of your hand. Bless Pastor Matthew on a time of study. And bless our, our council, our elders and deacons, in their day-to-day -day service in our congregation and as they make plans for our future. We pray now together the prayer that, Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen. Right now, we're going to have an offering update and a prayer for our faith promise missionaries, Nathan Medell, Len Turnbull. Good morning. On behalf of the deacons, we wanted to thank the congregation for its continued generosity, especially over this past year. Uh, now, as of not getting together regularly, we as a deacon whole feel very blessed for your outpouring of your financial gifts. This month, we want to focus on the Timothy Tuition Assistance Fund, and all unmarked funds placed in the giving boxes go, will go towards supporting our Timothy Fund. As a reminder, there are four boxes located in the back of the church, two on each side uh, back there. During this time, while we are not passing the offering baskets, we encourage you to to give by using the giving boxes as you leave or enter church. And any, un, and any funds placed in there, unmarked, say for budget or any of our other funds, will be put towards the Timothy Tuition Assistance Fund. Also, again, as I mentioned, feel free to use those boxes for any other giving you wish to do and simply notate that along with your gift. Will you please pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can gather together as believers to praise your name, hear your word, and give back a portion of what you have so richly blessed us with. Please bless this month's offering as we collect these gifts for Timothy. Thank you for the blessing this school provides to our children and equipping them to be your kingdom servants. This past year has been very hard in so many ways, and we are thankful for what Timothy has been able to do in the midst of all this. Bless the families this fund supports and be with all the teachers, faculty, and, and administration at Timothy. We ask that these gifts given would honor and glorify you. Amen. Good morning. Uh, this, this month we are recognizing Eric and Penny Shearing, uh, the Pacific Island Ministries in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I just received a new newsletter in March two, 2021 uh, where Penny and Eric have been in the United States for quite some time. They thought they were going to go back in January, but they had some uh, issues with the airlines and other things. But it, it was a, a blessing to them because Eric is uh, in the throws of writing another book called Nine More Hot Topics, which is issues about arson, piracy, murder, West Papa, New Guinea, socialism, and Penny is working on a revision of Heroes at the End of the Earth, originally written by her mom and dad who were missionaries. One of the things they request is uh, that we pray because they have been so blessed with their ministry, uh, with their teachings that the government, the public uh, school system, is using it for religious education. And they're coming out with newer books and populating them in all their schools that they have been associated with. Uh, those other things, I think that's enough right for right now, but let's join in prayer for them. Uh, dear Father, we recognize Eric and Penny sharing of Papua New Guinea and the Pacific Island Ministries, but we remember that Faith promise is something that we have taken upon as a responsibility to support both in prayer and monetarily to all our missionaries all over the world and in the United States. We pray for Eric and Penny that they travel at the end of this month finally to get back to their destination. We pray for their safety, their health. We pray for all the volunteers and the people that they work with 
and we pray that the, the Lord will open up the eyes of many children, students, teachers, and people, parents, in Papua New Guinea for them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we approach uh, the proclamation of God's word this morning, let's prepare our hearts by singing uh, the three verses of Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Let's stand to do that. Please be seated. We're going to be um, continuing and concluding uh, our sermon series on Joseph this morning, the story of Joseph near the very end of Genesis, and we're up to really the last chapter of Genesis today. We're going to begin reading the last in the last few verses of Genesis 49 and then read all of 50, which is the final chapter in Genesis. So we'll begin with Genesis 49, verse 29. In the verses before this, in chapter 49, uh, Jacob is blessing near the end of his life each one of his sons. Each son gets a blessing. 
And then this is what we read. And let's listen now, uh, having sung that we want to trust in Jesus and we want to trust in his word. May he answer that prayer that we sang as we now read his holy and infallible word. Genesis 49, beginning at 29. Then, then he, Jacob, gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place for Ephron, from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. And there Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And these, of course, are all his ancestors. And his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. Uh, the field and the cave in it were brought from the Hittites. Uh, when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. And then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with them. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, Near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in, in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite along with the field. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, 
the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. When Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And so Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. That's God's word for us, congregation, today. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we read uh, quite a bit about Jacob, the family patriarch, and how he had blessed Pharaoh when he came to Egypt. And then later on, uh, shortly before his death, we read how he blessed his sons and he blessed his grandsons. And, And since this is how God's covenant works, after all, God said, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. Uh, Jacob quite rightly blesses these next generations. And, And as we read, Jacob makes his sons promise to bury him with his forefathers back in their home country of Canaan. And then Jacob dies, we read, and then we read how he's buried back in the promised land. And remember, the land that he's being buried in is the land that God had for his people. The land that they had come from and that they'd go back to one day, though they would be in Egypt for a while. God led Joseph originally into Egypt to bring his family there so that they could settle in that region of Goshen. And that would be for their good. Just as all things God plans are for the good of his people, even when we don't necessarily see it all right away. We see in in verse 15 that Joseph's brothers are frightened. They're frightened. And they should be frightened. They absolutely, when they all lived together at home, these guys absolutely hated their brother Joseph. Because Jacob, their father, favored him. And then when he gave him that gift of the coat of many colors, it just made it all the worse. And there was a reminder for these older brothers every day of how spoiled they felt Joseph was, of how favored he was. And that gift made the older brothers, we read, hate Joseph even more than they already did. And so, out of that hatred, they threw their little brother into an empty well, even while he was crying out to them to stop, but they showed absolutely no pity. They callously sold him as a slave down to Egypt. They wiped goat's blood on that special coat so their father would think that his precious son was killed by some wild animal. After their father's death and burial, the brothers thought, 
This would be the end of them for sure. They're asking, what if he pays us back for all that we did for him? They're thinking, Joseph is this powerful Lord in Egypt. He can do whatever he wants. And maybe the only reason he didn't get back at us yet is because our father was alive. And he didn't want our, our father to, to see this. But now, all bets are probably off. The brothers should have expected revenge from Joseph or that he'd be holding a grudge or or want to get back at them in some way because that is how we usually respond when we're wrong. That's how people respond with revenge, getting back at the people who hurt you. Back in 1991, Sports Illustrated wrote about Chicago Cubs outfielder Andre Dawson having to pay a $1,000 fine for disputing a strike called by umpire Joe West. I don't know if any of you remember this. Well, the the report in in Sports Illustrated said that on the memo line of that $1,000 check, you know what Dawson wrote? Remember that? Donation for the blind to the umpire. In Brazil, several indigenous Brazilians were refused an audience with the president because they wouldn't wear a coat and tie. What they told the press after that is that from now on, they'd insist that any government official visiting an indigenous village has to wear a feathered headdress, body paint, and come half naked. When we're wronged, we want to get a little dig in, even if it's slight. But more often than not, we want to do something much more than a little dig. We want to get even. We want to hurt someone how they hurt us. And we imagine all the scenarios and possibilities in our heads at In bed at night, we think and plot and imagine a conversation with this person who hurt us and and what we would say to them to make sure they know how much they hurt us and how we could say something to hurt them too. Anyone ever been there? But Joseph says to the brothers who are shaking in their boots, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. They were shocked. They got forgiveness. How did they get forgiveness? There has to be a reason. We, we sometimes think, well, God can just snap his fingers and forgive my sins and forgive our sins. He would, wouldn't he, if he was a truly loving God? That's all he's got to do. He can do anything. But that's not necessarily so. God is omnipotent and he can do anything, but think about this. God is loving and kind and God is also just and holy and God is fully and perfectly all of those things and he cannot go against his very nature and that's why our sins need to be paid for. They are not a small matter. A price had to be paid, and it was by God's son, Jesus, on the cross. God would never have sent his own son to die if there was any 
other way. If he could have just snapped his fingers, why would he send Jesus? But someone needed to pay the price for sin since it's an affront to God himself. It's an affront to his very nature. And it could only be Jesus. He was perfectly and fully God, and so he could withstand the punishment of judgment against sin. And he was also fully human, so he could pay the price for the sin of other human beings, like, like you and me and all God's people throughout history. On the basis of God's forgiveness of us through Jesus' atoning death on the cross, that's how we can forgive others too. And this is all connected with where Jacob was buried in the first half of the chapter. It's connected to Canaan, where he went to the land of God's promises. Many years later, after God's family would grow into a nation in Egypt, he'd send them back into the land to live and settle, and that is where the promises of God would be fulfilled, especially the promise of the Messiah, Jesus, who would come to bring redemption and salvation and forgiveness into the world uh, to bridge the gap between fallen sinful people and a holy God and to heal the broken relationships between people that our sins have caused, that would happen through Jesus' coming and death and resurrection. And from there, it would go out to all the world at Pentecost and at Jesus' instruction to the church and the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Even though Jacob was buried elsewhere in the Promised Land, that beloved wife of his, Rachel, was buried actually in Bethlehem, where the fulfillment of all God's promises, Jesus himself, would one day be born. In Old Testament times and cultures that didn't have those promises, the principle in human relationships and when you're wrong was an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye. Someone stabs you in the eye, you take his eye out. Cuts off your arm, you cut off that arm. And even most people today who don't know the Lord, and even some people who do follow that old eye for an eye rule. Um, there's a recent a headline just this week I saw, and I, I'm reading it, and I, you know how it is to say, I don't know if this is true or if it's fake news, but still it struck me. Donald Trump takes up a post-presidency hobby, revenge against those Republicans he feels betrayed him. And again, whether it's true or fake news, we see in our culture from the rich and powerful on down, from government and business leaders on down, operating this way, revenge. You get back at people if they hurt you. If they say something bad, you get back at them. And, and then so many people in our society follow suit. But it's not right. It's not our way as believers. And, and we don't want to get sucked into what's happening all around us. On the basis of the forgiveness that would be won at Calvary and those promises of God that Joseph was living into already in his day, that's what we see here. He could say, don't be afraid. He could forgive them. 
And on the basis of what we'd read in Romans 12, don't repay anyone evil for evil, and vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Joseph knew already then, based on the promises of God, that that was God's job, not his. What does he say? He says, am I in the place of God? That's not my business to, to get back at you guys. In other words, brothers and sisters, you may be treated with evil like Joseph, but God is sovereign, and he's going to take care of that. And that's his business. As for us, his children, we are called to forgive not get back at people. Those who know Jesus and belong to the Father's family, forgive. Uh, we know that taking revenge is not our job. And, 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 and so it's God's. And, and so we don't focus on that. We don't try to do that. We don't worry about wrong done to us. We don't agonize about, oh, woe is me, look how bad I've been treated at work, or whatever. After the surprising word of forgiveness, Joseph goes on, and he says to his trembling brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You intended to harm me, we read, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. A more literal translation that you'll see in, in some Bibles, like the ESV translation, we use NIV normally for preaching, but in the ESV that actually a number of our students received and requested this morning. This is what it says a little more literally, and I think what it says exactly in the ESV. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In other words, you meant it for evil, says Joseph, but God meant it for good. And, and what this brings to mind is a bigger, a bigger issue called, that we call the, the, problem, the problem of evil. The problem of evil in our world. There's a whole category of thinking and writing and studying and in philosophy on this the problem of evil but it, it's not something just for philosophers it's not just something for books we each one of us deal with this problem of evil every day it's it's the question this is the question and, and then you'll see what it, how it means it's more than something for the books it's the question of why if god is god and god is good do bad things happen in this world? That problem of evil is why some people say they can't, they're not sure that they can believe in God, that, they, that there is a good God at all. They say either God, and track with me here, they say either God is not good, like he's malicious, and that explains evil. Well, because the God in control is not good. So that's why there's evil. And then, you, you know, you kind of picture the old mythology of the Greek and Roman gods where they would like toy with mortals and, and be cruel to them for their own amusement. Some people wrongly, of course, actually imagine in their minds that's how God is. They're clearly not reading the Bible because the Bible doesn't depict God that way at all, and they say 
that, I don't want to believe in a God that does that. And they give that as the reason for there being evil and bad stuff on earth. But other people say, if there is evil, then there must be no God at all in control of everything. It's all just random. If there is a good God, right, but he's letting all kinds of stuff like sickness and war and crime slip through his fingers... Is that really God? Or, or at least that's not a God power, powerful enough, these godless people say. That's not a God worthy enough for me to worship. All of us wonder about this. You know, why, why do bad things happen? This problem of evil. A few years ago, a number of unexpected deaths and deaths by cancer came to our church family. And, and we all asked, why, God? And so many of you had conversations with me, and we, we talked that through, and we had messages on, on it. Why? Because we asked, why, God? This is terrible. Why is this? Why him? Why'd you take him or her? Why, if God loves us, and if God loves our church and, and me, and he's good, why, why do we experience evil in life? And that, that's a tough very difficult question. There's a lot there um, that it, 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 you, you can't just say if someone's struggling with evil done to them, hey, God's in control. He's got it. It's true, but it requires conversation, and it, you can't, it's not a quick fix for people to get that, right? But there is, I, I will tell you, if you really want to dig into this question of the, of the problem of evil, there have been so much there's been so much written on it and about how the Bible answer these, answers these questions. You'll discover as you dig into that very quickly that the problem of evil is really the so-called problem of evil. There are very clear answers from Scripture, although there certainly is mystery. If you think of this, now think that, now think of this. How much more would we be tempted to ask questions when there is evil in the family of God. This is what we're reading. Joseph and his brothers were God's family, God's ancient church, and this level of evil happened there in their midst. And you could imagine someone say, well, how can I believe now if it's even in, among God's family and we see it today too in churches where something happens it's not right a church gets divided or breaks up or whatever people get disenchanted you know if people are acting like the world even there if there's bickering and complaining and whatever and untruth and junk going on I don't want anything to do with the church and I know there are some people here in our church family who have come from churches where they've experienced exactly that sort of situation. Evil, harm in the church family, and it's just a terrible testimony for a church. It's harmful to people's faith. What Joseph points us to here is ultimately, though, a mystery. Evil happens, and yet God is in control. He is sovereign. He is working out all things, even the evil of these brothers, as we've seen as we've gone forward, for the good of his people. The ultimate example of that is that it was both the world 
the Roman Empire, and the church of the day, the Jewish religious leaders that crucified Jesus over 2,000 years ago. But that most ultimate evil of all was for the redemption of God's people and good news for the world that there is salvation for all who call on Jesus' name. God turned that ultimate evil for the ultimate good of the world and for you and me and for his people. God's sovereignty doesn't make evil okay just because he can work it out. People do evil. You and I do evil. We sin and, and we're accountable to God for that. Thank goodness for the blood of the Lamb of Jesus that cleanses us of all our sin. But, but when there is evil, thank the Lord that he is also so big that he uses everything, even sin and his enemies, for his ultimate purposes, especially for his family, for his church. No matter how much evil there is in the world or against the church or against a child of God, God is going to use it for your good. Your enemies, God's enemies, will be confounded. They may try their best, but they're going to lose. The Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. How does God more than conquer? How can we be more than conquerors because of God? Well, more than conquering sin and evil and the devil, well, it's more than that because God takes the evil that they are doing and that are going against his church and uses it to accomplish the victory, actually. That's what more than conquerors is about. Makes me think, and I want you to think for a minute, if you can, of a a Marvel movie, a, mar a superhero movie, right? Think about how sometimes in the course of a movie you see what you thought up until that point in the movie was the biggest, baddest, most powerful character. But then someone even bigger and more powerful walks into the scene, and these two face off. They shoot, you know how they do it, right? Lasers from their hands, the beams meet in the middle, but the most powerful being that just walked onto the scene, that beam slowly pushes back this other powerful being's powers, bending it, aims it back toward the weaker one until it's destroyed. And that's what our God Almighty does to Satan and all our enemies. They may try their best they may throw everything they've got at God, at us, and at the church, but it won't ultimately work. God will use their own evil against them for their own ultimate destruction and for his family's good. Finally, this Joseph story ends with Joseph's death and the making of a promise that when God's family goes back to the land of promise, Canaan, they will bring Joseph's bones back there. As Joseph's remains will rest in the promised land, we rest on the promises of God in our lives. We sing that hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. And what a blessing and joy to see these students take their place among us as those who publicly profess their faith in Jesus, to see that they've committed before God and before us to stand on the promises. Not that they and, or that any of us ever do 
that perfectly. None of us has perfect faith. It's because we know that we don't have perfect faith, in fact, that we want to be part of a loving church home like this, where we support one another, where we grow in faith, where we pray for one another. Jesus says in Matthew 10, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. And so whoever has done what these young people have to, done today can be assured that Jesus' perfection covers all our imperfections. And what a blessing uh, for, for you young people this morning, and what a blessing for each one of us. And you know, students, because we talked about it, um, this is not the end of your relationship and walk with the Lord, your profession of faith. You're, you're closer to the beginning than the end of a lifelong of kingdom service and love for God and love for others. And, but as you do journey forward, students, all of us, stand on those promises. The promised one, the Holy Spirit, helps us. And when you, when you can't stand any longer, when, when the hardships of, of life weigh you down, just, just rest on those promises when you can't stand until one day in his time, the Father carries you over to the other side into eternity where there will be no more evil or tears or sin, but only good, only good, as our good God has been leading his children toward all along. Aren't you glad to be part of the family of God today? Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless it to our hearts and to our lives, to our homes and to our church home here at Faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll ask the worship team uh, to come forward for our last couple of songs. Let's stand to sing.
Faith Church family, receive this blessing, and then we'll sing our final song. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace today, always. Amen. We're going to sing the song that we introduced last week. A lot of you knew it already. Maybe even more of you will now.